Welcome back to Booze and Buffy, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the Series, one by one. There will be no spoilers for future episodes, but we will be discussing details from previous episodes. I'm Harrison. And I'm Jason. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, Harrison, what episode are we watching this week? Uh, I couldn't think of a joke, so I, I, I masked just, it with a, like an so NPR funny. voice. It, it's so rare that I see somebody's brain stop working in real time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we are watching Buffy Season 5. No, season, season six. six. It says it correctly. That's just a testament to how <laughs> shitty my vision is. Because it really, from where I'm standing, where I'm sitting, it actually does look like a five, which is not great. <laughs> Buffy's am I, season. Am I gonna have to like put it on the board just right? to like see how? <laughs> which season? Now that's that's an eye test that could get me to the eye doctor more often. Like, can you identify which Buffy season this is? And the pictures get smaller and smaller. Number one. <laughs> Number two. <laughs> Uh, it's Buffy season six, episode five, Life Serial. This is the one where the trio um, concocts a trio of tests for Buffy to gauge her strength, speed, etc., etc. And all of this just generally makes Buffy feel really shitty about her entire fucking life. Uh, zero out of five. There was no life serial in here at all. <laughs> what, a, what a tease. <laughs> life serial was written by David Petrie and Jane Espenson and directed by Nick Mark and originally aired on October 23rd, 2001. Mm. Hit it. <laughs> Jason. Harrison. I feel like there's almost no point in even saying what we're drinking because it's just like week six of us just <laughs> drinking red wine. <laughs> yeah, we, we should probably like, we could lose viewers if we don't start changing it up, right. man. All right, next week, straight Everclear. Zima. Oh. <laughs> uh, um, okay, a toast. Um, Jason, I would like to give a toast to my house aka the labyrinth um this won't most likely won't be the last episode that we record here we probably got one or two left in we're on borrowed time but we're on borrowed (laughs) time yes I've, i've alluded to this in past episodes um but john and i are moving um we just got approved for a new place that we fucking love yeah that's always delightful i know we and we really didn't think we'd find a place that we liked as much as this but honestly it checks off all the boxes it has all of the things we love about this house and cuts a couple of the things that we don't love about this house for instance a bathroom floor that doesn't feel like it's sinking um and it's down one bedroom because i mean a three-bedroom house was great when we were living here with a roommate it's a little too much for us just just the two of us um so uh yeah we'll be we'll we'll be moving soon um the owners of this house that we live in they told us like two years ago they were planning on doing like a full renovation and you know eventually we'd have to move 
Um, and that took a while for them to get like approval and all of that, but it's actually happening. Um, but yeah, I just really just want to put out my appreciation for this house. It's, we've lived here for six years. God, um, it's really been that long. Yeah, we, I, I guess it's like, you have to factor in COVID time into true. that as well. <laughs> so really, we only lived here for four years. <laughs> uh, or really, if you think about it, we lived here for eight years. <laughs> we spent twice as much time here. As we, as we learned in this episode, time is very strange exactly. depending on where you're looking at it from. Yeah, but we, you know, we moved in here just a couple months after we got married. And so it's been, you know, where we lived for the most of our marriage. Um, we lived here with Grace for a while and then with our friend Sean and more importantly, Sean's dog Morty. <laughs> um, kidding. Sean is wonderful. But, um, and you know, this is where the podcast was born. This is where every episode of the podcast minus Jason's halves when we were recording remotely have been recorded. Um, so, you know, I just, I've, I'm, whew. I didn't actually expect to get a little emotional about this until we actually started moving out. But um, it's been a great house for us. Yeah, and... I've I've never, I have yet to live in a place as long that isn't my parents' house. Yeah, as long as uh, you guys have lived here. So me neither. <laughs> yeah. So I, I can I can only guess at the emotions that you're going through yeah. because it's like I mean, as opposed to moving out of your parents' house, this is like. You know, a place that you made for yourselves. Yeah. And, you know, and I moved out of my parents' house and directly into John's apartment. Like, I yeah. never had my own place. Um, so, yeah, it's... And I'm stressed because now we have to move and pack and all of that. But... The, the important thing during that is, yes, you can... Like, it's very easy to stress out about all of the packing and moving and everything. But also... Don't forget about the excitement of yeah. getting into oh, a new place. I'm so and I'm so excited. Like our, we've already been talking about like things we want to do with the house and um, and how we want to get it set up and laid out. And so I'm just like I'm bittersweet. I'm I'm gonna miss this place a lot and it holds a lot of very cherished memories. But I'm also very excited about a new chapter. Yeah. Um. It's funny, John. When we got finally got approved for the house, because fun fact that everyone already knows John is a ball of anxiety always. Um, it's not just him. <laughs> well, fair <laughs> enough. He's been very, he's also been very stressed and very anxious. Um, and when we finally got approved, I was talking that night, I was talking about all the things I was going to miss about this house. And he was like, you know, it's funny. I've been thinking that way a lot over the last like couple months since we actually got the news that it was time to move. He's like, but now that we've got approved for the new place and I really like the new place, like I've kind of my, uh, my, it's, I've shifted into like, these are the things I won't miss about this place. Yeah. Um, it makes the parting easy. Yeah. So <laughs> one of the things was the very high ceilings, which I mean, I love a high ceiling, but also, I mean, cobwebs <laughs> that we just don't deal with. <laughs> we just pretend they're not there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, that's a very long toast to uh, my house, a.k.a. The Labyrinth, yeah. which is a name that Grace and I uh, came up with when we first came to view the house, because um, most of the rooms in the house have multiple entrances, which made the layout very confusing before we had any furniture put in. <laughs> also, Grace is a huge fan of the movie Labyrinth. She is, yes. Um, so yeah, here's to The Labyrinth. <laughs> um, oh wait a minute no no remember what bleh. Bleh. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's funny like it's funny 
when she does it and she makes the face. But then they make the brilliant decision to move it off screen. Yes. And it's That's even the best funnier. One. That's it's the best even one. even funnier. Um, and it's like they've just done the work to set up the joke so that when it comes from off screen... Ugh. Cougar Town did something very similar to that in um, uh, Courtney Cox's son, Travis. I forget the actor who played him, but he's like... Uh, the... Dan Bird. Yeah. He... Um... Dan Bird was like... It's one of my teenage years, like heartthrob. Is he straight? Um, I, I'm gonna get. I'm going to assume, but it was specifically <laughs> him in um, the remake of The Hills Have Eyes. He plays the. Oh like, yeah, he is in that. He's the teenage son, and, and I'm sorry to, to take you off what you were saying, but he wears a long sleeve tee under a regular t-shirt. He's got like saggy jeans, and you can see his boxers. And oh my god, Jason. 14-year-old Harrison was like, dreamboat, dreamboat. Honestly, it can't be too different from 30-year-old Harrison, really. I mean, yes, because one, that fashion does not do anything for me anymore because it's very specific. And I also look at it and he's a child. Now, in as he's aged, he's very handsome, but I don't think he's... I don't think I've retained that sort of attraction to him like it's not that he's unattractive but it's just like i don't know he's not he's he's no james marsden who <laughs> could be i mean who could be and yeah, mean, he totally would if he could i mean who could be james <laughs> marsden i mean christian bale in the dark knight like era like american psycho to dark knight like that sort of that era i mean pretty close but james marsden oof <laughs> Ooh, baby girl. Okay, sorry. Um, Dan Bird in Cougar Town. Yeah, anyway, he plays uh, Travis, uh, Courtney Cox's character, Jules, um, her son. And uh, he, like, one time his dad points out that, uh, oh, it's like, it, it, you make that weird sound every time you throw something. He's like, what are you talking about? And, um, and like, it shows him, like, Throw a couple things every now and again, and every time he does it, he just makes this. Ah, oh, sound. I've seen this clip. Yeah. I've seen it. And, I think you've showed me this. Yeah, and uh, but like one of the best ones is like uh, when Travis is off screen, and I think his dad Bobby says like, "Oh, hey, Travis, can you toss me that?" And you don't see Travis at all. You just see like a I think I remember if it was a ball or something coming at him, and you hear that. Ah, off screen. <laughs> That's funny. That's a show that I really want to watch, and I just I just haven't and. I don't have any good reason. I just haven't done well, it. Well, because you're you watch all TV. So that's true. You're never not watching TV. I'm. That's true. If I'm not watching TV, it's because I'm asleep or dead, or playing video games with John. We've been playing a lot of video games. All right. Shall we get into the episode? Yes. <laughs> Let's get into this episode, which I. For me, this episode is so boring in the first half, and then really picks up in the back half. Yeah, like, um, for me, I kind of noticed that, uh, like, the attempts... It, it seemed like the first half of the show tried to be a little more serious. The first half of this episode was a little more serious mm-hmm. and trying to, like, oh, let's really um, pound home the idea of Buffy trying to like find a place in the world after like you know she's been lost but uh the second half more just kind of is let's put her in these ridiculous situations you have the time loop you have 
the the kitten poker. Yes. <laughs> and I think it's the time loop is where the episode picks up. Um, and it it's both funnier and I think it's more... Ironically, just the fact that it gets funnier makes Buffy's situation, like the, the commentary on Buffy's situation, more successful. Like, at the beginning of the episode, I'm just... And maybe it's because the beginning of the episode has a lot of emphasis on the trio. And um, I don't hate them, but I'm also just like, ooh, we're, we're with these guys a lot. And yeah, it's... and they, like, they haven't had that moment yet to really set them as the, as, like, the villains. Yeah. And as someone, and as, like, a group that we're looking forward to seeing. Yeah. Well, part of this episode very much feels like it's meant to... Um, establish them as individuals and what they bring to the team which and, is weird like, because they like dynamics. they legitimately already had an episode where they they said what they each bring to it like yeah. they literally had a whole scene where um warren i have to be really careful because <laughs> i keep calling him warner but where warren like just lists off everything that each of them does yeah but now that now we have to see it in action yeah and i don't mind the idea of seeing it in action but it being the very next episode i'm like maybe like i don't know i don't i don't want to dictate what the show should have done instead of what it did yeah because that's not what we're here to do we're here to talk about what the show did but it just does feel very like oh we just met these guys last week i mean not really but you know as a as a unit we've just met them last week and now suddenly we're like, it's all them the whole episode. And yeah. um, it was just a little jarring and not entirely successful for me. Up until the time loop happens and then I'm, I'm a happy camper. <laughs> um, so Buffy returns home to the Summer's house. Uh, Summer's house does not have a fancy nickname, um, but it should. I'm going to think of what its fancy nickname should be. Um, it can't be the labyrinth because it's that layout makes perfect sense. Um, maybe like Slayer Central or like Den of the Slayer. Hmm. All right, I'll workshop it. Uh, but Buffy returns home from her meeting with Angel. Um, she has brought Scooby Shack. The ooh, I love that. All right, that's it. <laughs> Scooby Shack. Um, uh, I really need a like a Love Shack remix. Um, <laughs> Um, she's got a bucket of chicken, uh, not from KFC, but from a generic chicken place that also serves their chicken in buckets. Um, and she's, she's very excited to have brought dinner from the family, um, except she finds that, uh, they're already, they've already eaten dinner. Uh, it, it does look fairly late. Yeah. Don, Giles, Tara, and Willow are like, like around the table looks like willow's like kind of starting to clear stuff and don's like oh i didn't know we didn't know when you were gonna be home and buffy's like giles is like oh no we didn't eat <laughs> well and then like you just flat out amidst the lying like, no <laughs> yeah. we did that that panic of like no we didn't like well i mean they don't know what to do with buffy as of right now yeah um buffy doesn't know what to do with herself true but they do decide to throw her a bone not a magic and- bone well, I was talking about like chicken bones. Oh, nice! But then she then throws them bones of chicken with chicken on them, and they all have like you know a piece of chicken. Yeah. 
And then they really put her on the spot. They like, really do. What are you going to do with your life? Um, like, they say, like, oh, what are you going to do now? And Buffy just assumes, okay, I've been thinking about uh, all the bills I have to pay and, like, what order I need to pay them. And, uh, and yeah, the fact that Jow's like, no, what you're going to do with your life? I'm like, dude, she's, like, 21. She just walked through the door after what she tells us was a really intense interaction with Angel that she doesn't want to talk about with anyone. And she's still recently dead. She's recently (laughs) dead. And, like, all of this, like, yes, I do think a discussion about what her next steps are is important, but, like, let her have a night's sleep first. And also, even, not necessarily even more importantly, um, have this conversation when Dawn isn't around. Yeah. Because Dawn does not need the holy shit, my guardian has no idea what she's doing and is floundering. She doesn't need that in her life. I mean, (laughs) at the very end of the episode, Buffy says that Dawn likes it when things work out. Yeah. Which is why she wants to, like, go and show her that check that Giles gives her. But, yeah, um... I don't know, maybe at this point... I think, if I had to make a guess, it would be that Dawn has become so close to Willow and Tara... That Willow and Tara are more just along the lines of, oh, what are we like? Uh, we they see her as part of the Scooby Gang almost. Yeah. Um, Buffy's not at that point yet, and Giles probably isn't at that point either. But uh, but yeah, they just kind of sh- she's just part of the group. Yeah. Um, and you know, it kind of makes me wonder, like, if okay, they still have the Buffy bot, so they would still be trying to pass off Buffy as. So Buffy still probably has the guardian status of yeah for because at first it was like did did Willow and Tara become her guardian but no I forgot about the Buffy bot I am curious what that we only because we only got a glimpse of it but what that household dynamic was like um with I mean yes Buffy was still officially her guardian because of the Buffy bot but like in practice Willow and Tara were. And I imagine Tara was excellent at that role. And I imagine Willow tried really hard. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, this is, I love how, um, your opinion on Willow is starting to turn. No, it's not. No, it's not. I adore Willow. I really do. Well, but well, maybe not like your, your opinion on it, but you're like not hesitating to call her out I, on her shit. I'm not because <laughs> God damn it. Someone needs to. <laughs> And I and I say and Giles this, isn't in the main credits anymore. Yeah. And uh no. And I, I, I say it because I care. <laughs> you know? Um I'm not trying to bully her like I do with Xander. Um uh, but... Willow Willow suggests that um since Buffy's missed the registration deadline, that uh she can audit classes with her and Tara. And uh, and you know, that's like a pro- Buffy sees that as a promising start. Yeah, and I'm. It's a. It, um, it's a good. It is a good start. It's because you know, college was where she was, where she had to put her life on hold, uh, for her mom. So it it tracks that like, yeah. Let's start it going back to college. Um. So that yeah, Buffy agrees to that. Um. Meanwhile, the trio are preparing their competition to test uh, test Buffy. 
they um, they have got they have acquired a big black van, uh, much like the one that is frequently parked outside my house. Um, uh, not in a weird way. Just like, think <laughs> you're gonna miss that van. <laughs> I, um, it belongs to one of our neighbors. Who, who like uh, so it's not it's not weird. It's just uh, she's always kind of funny. That's just like there's always this big black like windowless van. Um, but Andrew has painted, uh, the Death Star 2, uh, on the side, uh, which Andrew points out was a flawed model, um, accurate. Well, no, um, Jonathan points Jonathan, out Jonathan, thank flawed. you. I'm bad at this. <laughs> um, but they... Yeah, pl- Warren goes into the entire... Like, oh, don't worry, like, we're gonna be very stealthy and, like, we don't want to draw attention to ourselves. And then sees, uh, and then sees Andrew, what I'm assuming he's applying a, a decal. I, I because, guess. Because, I mean, if not, he has fantastic art abilities and really should just stay out of the demon summoning business. Yeah. Like... Um, also, there is, like, a little TIE fighter on, I noticed the, on that. the window. Oh, good details. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the trio's many many pop culture arguments yeah on a show that loves its pop culture references the trio really take the cake they even they xander's do. like exhausted they do um and for me i thought you were gonna say the one of the trio's many many flaws well <laughs> Many flaws. Well, you, you you heard my you heard my side of defeat at the end of this episode. Just <laughs> they are there's so much stuff about them that's just problematic AF. And I know that that's the intention for a lot of it, but I think there's also some stuff that's just like, no, this, yeah. Do we have to do this? Do, do they have to like be so excited for free cable porn? <laughs> It's it's one of those things. You're right. It's like they're not. I mean, obviously they're villains. They're uh, one obviously being a little more despicable than the others, at least at this stage. And but it's and they serve a very specific purpose and a very important purpose in the season. And they are often entertaining, but they are also often exhausting. And yes. I found this episode. I found them exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like, and there were some funny bits. I'm particularly fond of andrew's uh line that timothy dalton should win an oscar and beat sean connery over the head with it so very funny (laughs) ironically uh ironically that's how sean connery died (laughs) let's let's like uh jump into uh that that james bond argument real quick okay um i i'm actually siding with jonathan on this okay Roger roger moore is my favorite james bond um and uh because I think a lot of his movies are pretty good. Moonraker is awful. Yeah. <laughs> Warren is right in that regard. Uh, you recently saw Moonraker I for did. the first time. It was actually very funny when he was describing I I don't I don't think I ever I've never remembered his lines of the description of the movie because I guess I just never seen it, so those lines just were meaningless to me, so I've never attained to them. And then when he was describing this, because this is the first time I've seen that episode since I watched that movie, I was like, oh, that's funny. Like, But no, like, uh, The Spy Who Loved Me is my favorite James Bond mm-hmm. movie. It's fantastic, and I think it is uh, Roger Moore's best, but he's also got Man with the Golden Gun and Four Your Eyes Only, mm-hmm. um, which are also really great. Uh, 
Timothy, I think Sean Connery is a tad overrated because he's the one who originated the role on screen. Technically, through like the United Artists, if we're counting like Doctor No as the first James Bond movie, mm. even though there was like a Casino Royale like right. years before. But we're like, uh, you know, people see like the first real popular image of of James Bond in the movies was Sean Connery, and I think for that he gets a little. I think he gets a little bit overblown and everybody kind of, it, it's, everybody kind of uh, just immediately gives him that one up on everybody else because he was the first. Um, and I think that Timothy Dalton is vastly underappreciated. Okay. License to Kill is a fantastic movie. I actually haven't seen Living Daylights. It's the only classic James Bond movie that I haven't seen. All right. Uh, but yes, Wait, what, it, what do you define as classic? So um, everything pre Daniel Craig or pre yes Pierce everything Brosnan? everything pre Daniel Craig. Okay, um, because Daniel Craig is kind of like a separate its own. Kind it's of like separate a soft continuity. reboot, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so Doctor No to Die Another Day. Those initial twenty, obviously not including Never Say Never Again, because that's not an official James Bond movie. I don't think. Okay, and it's just kind of a soft remake of Thunderball anyway. Uh, I, I, I was really into James Bond. Yeah, that's uh, nothing wrong with that. Um, but yeah, uh, I so yeah, I'm on Jonathan's side, um, and I think Warren. Another thing that I dislike about him is that like, oh, he only thinks the Sean Connery movies are good, and that's very close. That's very close-minded of mm-hmm. him. That's somebody who says like, oh, only the only the original Star Wars movies are good. Like, shut up, <laughs> nerd. <laughs> Um, so I've seen far less, uh, Bond than you have. In fact, Moonraker is the most, like, recent one I've seen. Um, and I think, uh... Four Your Eyes Only is probably next. Yes, that one's next. And it's, like, a couple movies down on my Netflix uh, I enjoy it. Um, but I, I don't know if, I think I would say Roger Moore is my, um, has been my favorite, even though he's had some clunkers in there moonraker being the obvious one but they all have had clunkers. so um but i mean of course i've only seen sean connery um uh fuck his name was george lazenby george lazenby and roger moore um but i'll i'll disagree with you that sean connery's overrated but that's more of my own personal thing of i just don't like calling things overrated because i feel like that's dismissive of people's valid opinions um so i don't think there's anything wrong with sean connery being your favorite um and yes it might be because it was first but it also might just be because he's your favorite um but i do like roger Moore the best of the ones i've seen i'm also looking forward to pierce brosnan so uh at uc sunnydale uh willow willow i'm i'm trying to be on your side here she picks the absolute worst class. I said the exact same thing. I said really bad first class to audit sociology, right? And also like an extremely fast paced, like interactive sociology. Clearly, a I mean, this is Willow's a junior at this point, so clearly a high level advanced class. Especially if Willow's taking it, she's smart, and it's just like it. I feel so bad for Buffy that she didn't get to go to Tara's appreciation of art class. Yes. And not to say that that's like a soft option, but it clearly would have been an easier one to just go in and yes. like kind of enjoy. Because it looked like a lecture too, as opposed to like a... The interactive section almost. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, and, and yeah, and sociology, those terms that are thrown around, I mean, they, they sounded familiar to me, mm-hmm. but uh, as individual words, <laughs> but altogether, those ideas, I'm not too familiar with them. For all I know, it could have been gobbledygook. Yeah, but... I, uh, I just wish, uh, I just, I wish he'd got given it another chance after this, but I think, obviously, yeah, it got blown for her. Because I'm very sad that she didn't get to take go to Tara's art class. I know. I would love to take an art class with Tara, like specifically with Tara. Um, I'd love to Tara... just spend time with Tara in general because she's like one of those people that doesn't interact with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So when you do feel like you're friends with her, um, like it, it, it's like I mean, she's already a treasure, but you yeah. also are like. Oh, I'm like one of the few people that she wants to let into her circle. And she's, How awesome is that? She's such a warm and like generous presence. Yes, like like she's so sweet to Buffy. She's the it, one who she's the one who suggested that they could probably go for a piece of chicken. Yeah. So at the very beginning of the episode, uh, um, but unfortunately for Buffy, uh, Warren, uh, quote unquote, surreptitiously. Uh, <laughs> kind of puts this device on her that causes time to like or it causes Buffy to like time to speed up around Buffy. Yeah, she comes a little uh untethered untethered yeah. from time. And uh I, I I guess I kind of picture it in like uh maybe the movie Click. How, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um how like, you know, whenever he would fast forward through something and uh you know, he's probably, like, just sitting there like a goon. So Buffy's probably just standing there. And uh, I'm trying to imagine her standing outside of that uh, classroom for the entirety of right. the lecture. Yeah. Well, it appears there's there appears to be some sort of, like, enchantment or something. Because it, it's tech, specifically. But in Buffy, magic and tech kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, that kind of prevents anyone else from noticing because tara is like oblivious to what's happening to buffy yeah which as we just discussed tara would not be oblivious she'd be very concerned um but yeah it's it's cool in concept but really all it goes the only way it goes is you know she misses the class she gets knocked around a little bit by people who are fast forwarding um and then she you know Manages to get herself under one of those just very, like, those, I can't think of the word I want, but uh, ubiquitous (laughs) bench, like, stone table and benches things that we sell at, like, Garden Ridge. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say something like Lowe's. But But yeah, or, yeah. (laughs) But I don't even think Garden Ridge is still around. I think it's at home now. Um... But yeah, she gets under that table, she finds the device, and uh, Warren has it self-destruct in her hand. He's got a big old destruct big button, Big old too, red destruct button. kind of makes me wonder why uh, Jonathan said self-destruct. And like, do you not see that giant button there? <laughs> um, so they, they... the I think that's what the problem with these first like two tests are. They're stupid. <laughs> I actually wasn't going to say that they're stupid. 
I was going to say that they aren't given a lot of time. Yes. I, I you know, you're right. You're right. It's not that they're stupid. It's that yeah, it's just it's over so fast. I mean, honestly, the time loop is just as stupid as the other two. You just kind of like it because it's a time loop. Yeah. But like when you look down honestly, it's one of the it's pro- like the fact that she had to satisfy a customer. That's honestly like one it's of diabolical. The least, it's what it's one of the least threatening, like life threatening things, of that that Buffy experiences. Yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily call them stupid. I'm just saying that they're they're done like so brief. They're only given they're not given almost any time. Yeah. Ironically, and uh, because you know you have to fit in these other things that the trio's throwing at her. Yeah. Um. Which is why the and episode is so uneven. And then, and yeah, and it's all of it's like forced into the first like two thirds of the episode so that we can have Buffy and Spike's adventure at yeah. the end. Um, so uh, Buffy next, oh, the, the, the trio, they, they grade Warren's performance uh, based on seemingly arbitrary metrics, <laughs> um, which I don't mind that. I actually really love like a, um, like for the sake of comedy, like arbitrary rules in a game or like. It, it's so it, funny it, to think about how these guys are either are equal parts more incompetent than the uh, initiative, but also more successful than the initiative. Right? Well, it's like, <laughs> it's not unimpressive the things they can do. Yeah. It's just unimpressive how they choose to go about doing them. Like, <laughs> which is, I, I feel like is equal and opposite of the initiative. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> um, it's like, what the initiative, they're generally pretty good at capturing demons and stuff and but their ideas are so dumb. Um, so next, Buffy decides to try her hand at um, construction. She, Being in the workforce. Yeah, she gets a job through Xander at his work site. Um, and is immediately met with rampant misogyny. Yep. Um, Warren would have felt right, right. here. Um Literally all but one of these guys are complete dicks to her. Yeah, and I wouldn't necessarily say that that guy is nice to her. He's just not a dick to her. Yeah. He tells her, like, don't let him hassle you. I do think his advice, not knowing that she has super strength, of, like, you know, don't try to... Don't hurt yourself trying to prove yourself. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. That's good advice. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I'm just saying that, like... But, yeah. He doesn't stand... It's a low bar. He doesn't stand up for her. Um, (laughs) True. True, true, true. But, yeah, it's a... it's a low rebar. It's a low rebar. <laughs> uh, which she picks up. Well, she picks up a girder. Okay, I don't know the difference. Yeah, she picks oh, up Oh, rebar a... is what Cordelia re- yes, got re- through Rebar her. is like that. It's like, like well, yeah. Yeah, that's like that I pipe that um, usually like reinforces concrete. Yes. Um, what Buffy picks up is a steel girder, what looks like an I-beam. It was hot. Um... <laughs> She just picked that thing up, and they were like, "Stupid men." Yeah, they they couldn't say they couldn't say how good of a job that she was doing, um, except when the uh, when the manager and I'm pr- when the project manager and I'm pretty sure he was lying about this 
He's like, oh, I was coming over to tell her what I, how impressed I was with her. I'm like, you didn't say that. You came was like, oh, did I scare you? Yeah, that that I don't. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna fault the actor for this or the direction the actor was given because he says that I mean she clearly jumps. So there's a world where that line is delivered like, oh, did I scare you? And then all that goes down, and I would believe that he was coming it, to it pay her compliment. Smarmier he than says it so smarmy. Yeah, and I guarantee that even if he was coming to pay her a compliment, the words for a girl was definitely going to be in that compliment. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, <laughs> compliment you know, with Buff, quotation like, marks. And even though Buffy's doing a great job, she can't win for losing because right. um, she goes up and tries to like uh, you know talk to this one guy, and he just looks at her like, hey. We're getting paid by the hour here. Don't ruin it for the rest of us. Sorry, she's good at it. Yeah, and I mean... Fuck not. In all fairness, I don't know the type of... Uh, I don't know about that specific working environment. So it could be that, you know, speeding up the work does affect wages. But, I mean... There's a nicer way to yeah, tell don't someone. don't be a dick about Literally. it. Like, I mean, there's it's so easy to say, Hey, yo, you're doing fucking awesome. But listen, we get paid by the hour, so... Like this was the <laughs> this was the early two thousands. People don't give a shit about your feelings. Well, oh, it's, it's so funny because it's still that way. Yeah, <laughs> it was the nineties. Um, but no, uh, Warren Andrew. Warren Andrew. That's his name. Warren Andrew. <laughs> Andrew plays like some pan pipes and summons three, uh, like kind of green. Not kind of green. They are green, but like um, I'm trying to describe like, like Cthulhu esque almost. Yeah, they like, got, they're like they're, kind they're of they're little squid heads. Now. They're yeah. little squid heads. Um, and so yes, this project manager comes up and is allegedly trying to pay Buffy a compliment. She knocks him out of the way. Um, and in fairness, I'll I'll in fairness to him, he does seem to get a pretty bad head wound. So I'll I'll, I'll excuse his frustration later. Yeah. But but nothing else. Um, but yeah, she fights these demons. She um, she gets some creative kills, and I'm, I'm I especially enjoy the skyjack decapitation. Yes. We start with a pretty sh- standard shovel, like stab either shovel decapitation or stabbing. Um, we don't see where that shovel lands, but it does the job, um, and the demon melts. Um, and then the next one, she gets like um a, like a steel cord. That she wraps around its neck and looks like looks it. like it's um, a gas line or something. Yeah, something like that, or maybe one of those ones that has like various electrical lines through yeah. it or something like that. Um, it does the job, and then yes, that the she puts one of them's head through the like girders of the sky lift, pulls the hydraulics, and just lets it. Yeah, fantastic. Love it. Pretty gruesome too. Yeah, uh, listen, this ain't. This ain't the WB no more. That's true. We're on UPN <laughs> after hours. <laughs> Buffy after dark, like usual. <laughs> uh, but We're on the same network as Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> um, which also sometimes went to some darker places it than did, its yeah. predecessors did. Never quite as dark as where Deep Space Nine would go. Yeah. But, um, but, I mean, I would say that Voyager has, well, I wouldn't say, Voyager has more in common with Next Generation than Deep Space Nine. That's by design. But, but yeah, oftentimes a little bit darker. Not that Deep Space Nine couldn't, or not that Next Gen couldn't go dark. Um, but Star Trek's great. Star Trek's great. <laughs> um, 
so, uh, in the, uh, aftermath, uh, Buffy's getting reamed out by these guys. Even the guys who saw the demons are pretending that they didn't because they're dicks. Yeah. And, uh, but Buffy is distracted by the sight of a black van, uh, which she had noticed at the, um place that was UC Sunnydale. Oh. She'd seen it at UC Sunnydale right. and she sees it again. And in the uh in the the trio's attempts to not be seen, Andrew accidentally falls on the horn, which plays the um the Star Wars the theme. Star Wars theme. The John Williams. And uh uh John Williams, cheers. Um Okay. I just love John Williams. Oh, yeah, he's uh, good. <laughs> I was like, just the way you said it, like, oh, yeah, that guy. He's good. I heard one or two of his pieces. <laughs> he's going places. He's going places, <laughs> that man. I mean, not he's actually not. He's retiring, but... Um, did you know that um, the the new Indiana Jones movie is going to be... He's retiring. After? I believe I saw that, um, because I do know that... Uh, when Rise of Skywalker came out, he said that was the last time that he'd be doing music for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Actually. Yeah, it's a for like as far as like like a satisfying place to end your career. I feel like yeah, you know, a sequel to one of your most iconic scores is a great place to to retire. I um, mean, honestly. M- Almost all of his scores are iconic. So. I mean, yeah, I I cannot name another modern like film composer who has as many iconic scores. The, yeah, there the, are certainly the, yeah, the, Hans, the Zimmer and, like, Hans Zimmer, Hans Zimmer, or Howard Shore. But but Howard Shore's fantastic. But he's also like kind of known for three specific scores. Exactly. So it's like it's not that you know I'm not saying that to diminish any of their works. But John Water, John Waters, John Williams is just. The most prolific. Yeah. I mean, it's not shocking. The man's been doing it for decades. So the thing that I don't like about this construction scene... Xander? Is, yeah, Xander. Like, <laughs> he's uh, so... When he says, no, this is my job. That's your job. Don't bring your job to my job. I don't know if he said that to her simply out of, like, trying to protect the construction workers from... All the weird shit that's in Sunnydale. But here's a, the thing. I think that's a generous read, but. Here's the thing. <laughs> Xander, look are you at, listening? Look at the next scene where this woman specifically comes in for a mummy hand. A live mummy hand. She specifies that because she's going to do a spell. This is a random woman off the streets of Sunnydale. So there are some people who are still unaware that demons are a thing, which. How have you been able to do that? <laughs> like, how have you been able to avoid demons and vampires in Sunnydale for as long as you have? But then there are also some people who are out doing their own fucking magic. I mean, I think we see how it's willful, like, disbelief. Willful self-misinformation. Like, I just... I, and maybe, maybe I'm... Maybe I'm a more rational person. But I feel like if I legit saw the things that those guys saw, I wouldn't just write it off even to like make my uh you know, make myself not look like a not look like a chump in front of like the girls save my life. I'd be like, Did you guys know that demons are real? 
That would freak me out. Yeah. I, yeah, no, Xander's, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why Xander says this to her, like why he chides her. Yeah. And then like immediately switches and then like immediately like, you know, turns, turns the coin like as he's leaving the construction site. So I don't know if he was doing that to save face in front of the other construction workers or what. No, I think it's just... I it, I think it's bad writing. I think it's a contrivance on the writing to make Muffy feel even worse about herself and her life. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. But yeah, Xander, like, really does lay into her. And but yeah, I'm his like, about face is so sudden when he's like, I yeah, believe and, and, you. And, and, he's like, and he's like, I think, uh, I mean, I think that somebody's doing this to you and I think it's the same person who does this at the school. Yeah. Also... He says, um, so how are things, so what happened at the school? And she, like, explains, like, oh, you know, it's so weird. Like, I I don't know if I blacked out or if, like, time was, like, moving or something. But there was, like, an explode. There's this little device and it exploded. And, and Xander's like, okay, well, when you meet this guy, don't tell him about any of this stuff. I'm like, Xander, you asked her about this. Well, no, I think in this case, I think in this case he's being protective of her. I know, but I don't think she's going to flat out tell well, this guy that... Fair enough. Yeah, the I, last uh, yeah yesterday I saw some evil exploding lint. Why would you just tell me that yeah, unprompted? Yeah, everything that everything that Xander says to Buffy at the work site is very out of character for mm-hmm. how he would interact with Buffy. Yeah, and everything as soon as they leave the work site, it's like oh, regular Xander's back. Yeah, and it's like I could see it one way if he's like Buffy, like you're clearly being targeted and. I'm sorry, but I, like I can't have you here at my job, like where, you know, I have employees working. We have a job to do that, you know. I, I like I. There's a there's a gentler way of him to have done this. I haven't I haven't like, disapprovingly shook my finger at Xander for a while, but, but Xander feels, feels good. What doesn't are you it? doing? <laughs> feels good to get back. I, in I don't rhythm. know. I I don't necessarily think that. I, I like the idea that Xander is has grown up. Fair enough. But uh, yeah, just yeah, didn't like that. Um, so... Now next... we get into the part of the episode that Harrison likes. Yes, okay, so full disclosure, I fucking love a time loop. Uh, we said this, uh, when we did the Carpe Noctum episode, the Freaky Friday is my, is only second to the time loop for my favorite, like, genre conceit. Um, two shout-outs that this episode gives is, uh, Star next Trek Generation. Next Generation, which is Yesterday's Enterprise. No. That, no. No, that's an altered timeline. Oh, that's right. That's it's, right. Um, that's the one where Wetzer ass came back, right? Uh, Tasha Yar. Yeah. It's, um, hang on, I'm pretty sure it's in season five. Um, bring, bring up the other thing while I look this um, up. So the other one they mention is the X-Files episode Monday, which is a very, very good episode. Um, some other, just, uh, just some other great time loop episodes that, to, uh, that I really love. Uh, Xena Warrior Princess has uh, an episode called in season three called Been There, Done That. That's really good. It's It combines Cause a, and effect. Cause and effect. Oh, with a guest star Kelsey Grammer as well. Oh, okay. Um, my favorite time loop. Uh, go ahead with yours. So uh, the Xena one, Been There, Done That, combines a time loop with a Romeo and Juliet-esque story. It's really fun. Um, there's also just a couple more examples that I really like. Legends of Tomorrow's Legends of Tomorrow has one called Here We Go Again that also has a slight uh, ABBA connection. Um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did one in their last season that was excellent. 
and directed by cast member Elizabeth Henstridge in her directorial debut, and she did an excellent job. Uh, Doctor Who has... um, Who is it? Hellbent or Heaven Sent? I always get them mixed up. I believe Hellbent is the one where he's in the time loop. Yes. And then Heaven Sent is is when he's on Gallifrey. Yeah. It's the one before the finale. Um, And also Eve of the Daleks, which I really liked and was also easily the best of Jodie Whittaker's farewell specials, which were not great outside of that one. Um, so, And there's many, many more great Time Loop episodes, but those are just some of my favorites. And uh, my favorite one, and I thought it was in... Oh, yes. Window of Opportunity, Season 4, um, Episode 6 of Stargate SG-1, um, where, uh, if, for those of you who are not familiar, you have... Um, you have the, uh, like, SG-1 consists of four members. Um, two of those members, Daniel Jackson and uh, Samantha Carter, uh, one is a linguist and the other is an astrophysicist. They are the big brains of the team. Mm-hmm. However, they're not the ones who get stuck in the time loop. The ones who get stuck in the time loop are uh, Jack O'Neill and Teal'c, who are not the... Um, You've told me about this. They're like... Like mechanics or like grunts or something. No, right? no, they're not mechanics. Um, Jack O'Neill is like the head of the team. Okay, but um, he and Teal'c are the muscle, pretty okay. much. But so not um, the ones who would be yeah, equipped to necessarily they, solve. Such yes, a thing. and unfortunately, like they need the help of of da- of Daniel Jackson and Samantha Carter to help them through this time loop. But unfortunately, they have to explain it to them again every, every time. time. And um, the best part of the time loop episode, no matter what it is, but definitely in this episode, de- definitely in this episode of Buffy, definitely in Window of Opportunity of Stargate SG-1, there is, a, um, is the moment when the character who is affected by the time loop realizes they can do just about anything. Yes. And then does whatever the hell they want. Yes. And it's almost always hilarious. Always. And of course, there is the classic Groundhog Day. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to shout out another time loop film that I, I'm not going to say is better than Groundhog Day because I haven't seen Groundhog Day in probably 15 years, so I don't really remember. But uh, Palm Springs, starring Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti, came out a couple I've years ago. I've been meaning to watch that. It is so funny. It's very sweet. Um, there is a moment in the episode where, after Krista Miliati has just decided she can do whatever the fuck she wants, um, there's a there's a bit where she's getting arrested, and she yells at the cop, "Suck my dick, officer bitch!" <laughs> and I had to pause the movie. I was laughing so hard. And now the phrase "suck my dick, officer bitch" lives rent free in my head. I love um. If you're looking for a horror comedy spin on it, yes, oh Happy God, I Death Day. I can't believe and I forgot it. Happy Death Day to you. Yes, I think uh, both are a lot of fun. Yes, I com- I can't believe I forgot that one. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll eventually get Happy Death Day Tree. Which, and yes, I did say Tree. That is the proposed title because the main character's name, name is, is tree. tree. I was not. I'm not so drunk that I can't say the word three. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um. Uh, yeah. That. 
That's so great, and it's obviously like it, it really does kind of dial in on the uh, the first movie dials in on just oh this is a horror movie in the Groundhog Day structure. Yeah. The second movie is like hey what if there's a bonker sci-fi explanation to this and it works it does like, it, they're to- totally like they're two films that basically take the same premise and almost the same plot and almost then, the same day yeah <laughs> but take it in to- totally different ways. My favorite part in Happy Death Day, and then we can get back to the episode. Mm-hmm. But when she's going through her list of suspects of who's killing her, and she goes to the guy she went on the date with, and she's like looking through his window and sees that he's watching gay porn. Yeah. And she has that look of shock at first, and then morphs into like this sweet, like, oh, good for him. <laughs> like, she's like so happy for him. And then, yeah, oh, yes. Happy Death Day is, um, it's a lot of fun. And, even if you're a little squeamish around horror movies. It's a PG-13 horror movie. It it's is. not very I bloody. will say there's like, when you do like think about some of the things, it is like a, there are some points of it that are just like, oh my gosh, that actually is a little terrifying. Oh, yeah. I guess I forget that some people. Like, yeah, not everybody's are... a desensitized weirdo like you. <laughs> so, Buffy has gotten a job at the Magic Box. Um, and... Uh, she gets some advice. She didn't from, want this job. She did by not the want way. this job. She immediately said when she when Xander was walking her to the site, "Oh God, retail. I'd rather de- I'd rather be dead again." <laughs> yeah, yeah. She chose construction over retail. So like, but I mean, I we both worked in retail. <sighs> it's not great. <laughs> And I still, like, kind of... I don't work in retail yeah, anymore. Yeah, you're, you're, you're somewhat retail adjacent. But yeah, I am in, like, a but sales position. I will say one of the best things about the jobs that I've had since my retail days during high school is that I've almost never had to interact with customers directly, and that is so nice. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, Jonathan explains that his test is a time loop, and yeah, we get the shout-outs to those other, uh, to Next Gen and the X-Files. Uh, a Scully apparently wants Andrew so bad. No, she which doesn't. famously, she doesn't. Famously, she wants Mulder so bad. Yeah. Um, oh, God, their chemistry is so good. <clears throat> um... But yeah, the time loop begins. A customer comes in. Uh, she wants to, uh, the, the you know the the course of events is Giles gives Buffy some advice on sales, um, telling her to focus more on service, and you'll have a more successful customer interaction. Uh, Anya gives her the polar opposite advice. There's a customer. Go sell her something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is just a great little like show of the how different they are yeah um uh a man is looking at candles uh she wants to he wants to know which one uh will set the right seductive tone the options are like what's more romantic yeah it's like one's lemon 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 breeze lemon breeze and essence of slug i don't yeah go with lemon yeah i don't think um this guy must be new to the dating scene or something because I mean, uh, unless he smelled the that like that essence of slug candle, maybe he maybe he can't smell. Okay, maybe he can't smell. Good maybe theory. he has anosmia. I uh, I actually know someone who has that. Um, a co- old co- old coworker of mine. Um, maybe though, maybe he's a demon. 
but he's courting a human woman. Oh, and he's, he's I really like not that. sure. Yeah, he's yeah. Really yeah it's like sure. it's like I know that I like slug. But does she? Mm. I I'd watch that episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my god! I'm picturing an episode that's just like this demon. It's it's we don't see Buffy until the very end. It's just like this rom com with this demon. At the very end, Buffy just like busts in and kills him. That very much sounds like the uh, that first like Doctorless episode uh-huh. of Doctor Who, Love and Monsters. Yes. Yeah. Um. I think this episode would be better than that. Yeah. That episode has some good ideas, but it, it fumbles the ball pretty badly mm-hmm. in execution. Um, <laughs> so, um, that episode, I will say, one thing that episode does great for is Jackie Tyler's characterization. Yep. It is such a good episode for her development. Um, so... Uh, after the slug man, she meets a woman who wants to buy a mummy hand. Uh, Buffy's like, oh yeah, I saw that in the basement. She goes down, the mummy hand is... Little Harry could be a daddy man. (laughs) Which... Nice. I I mean, I like it, but I also think that woman gave Buffy the exact reaction she deserved. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but the mummy hand is not super, uh... Cooperative. Cooperative. It attacks Buffy, and Buffy ends up stabbing it with this dagger... We get a great cut of her holding the dagger with the mummy hand impaled on it, saying, oh, the dagger's free with the mummy hand. <laughs> I do not think Anya would approve of that. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> if the time loop hadn't have started like, up like right again, I, I I just, I can hear Anya in the very back like, what? What did you say? <laughs> um, you know when Ron Swanson can just tell that one of his ex-wives yeah. is in the building. Anya can just tell when someone's getting something for free. <laughs> um, so, uh, but yeah. yeah the um, customer's like, yeah. fuck no. Yeah, Jonathan reveals that he that in order for Buffy to escape this time loop, she has to satisfy this customer. Diabolical. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so we get, we get multiple variations of the time loop um, that get more chaotic. You know, sometimes... Uh, uh, in one, she chops off the mummy's fingers. Um, in one, she stomps on Charles's glasses. <laughs> she tries the classic just leaving, but comes in through the back. Um, and then there's the absolutely classic just break down and cry. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, she tosses the slug candle at the dude, and she's like, just take the slug. She's not going to sleep with you. Aww. Poor guy. He's just trying. Uh, she rips the d- bell off the door. The, the bell is... It's, it's a really great directorial choice to use the bell as, as a signal. Symbol, yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's the bell and Buffy turning towards the door. It's It just really sets the mood right. I love when, um, I love the one where she says that random crap to Giles. And, you could, and it's just revealed that Giles is flat out not listening to her at all. I also really like it in the second loop when he's repeating what he said to her. She goes, she goes what? Huh? What? <laughs> <laughs> um... And it was funny because John was like in the room with us, but was playing a video game and like what was just kind of half watching the episode, and he didn't catch on right away to the to the time loop. And he was like, "Why is why is why is Buffy acting so weird? Why is Giles being weird?" I was like, "Time loop, babe. <laughs> you know, classic time loop, babe." Um. So is it she... weird that I feel like if um if anything supernatural ever did like happen to us. 
we'd kind of be a little desensitized to it. We'd be like, oh, we're in a time loop. Of course. Oh my gosh, no, this is an alternate reality. Ah, oh, we switch bodies. Oh no, we're Benjamin Buttoning. Oh my God, we we have to resolve our differences and then we'll go back and and we have to walk a mile in the other person's shoes. Oh my gosh, we should not have opened those fortune cookies during a thunderstorm at the Chinese restaurant. (laughs) It's a very, it's a very problematic plot point. <laughs> um, great movie though. Um, that both is of versions. course the uh, two thousand three uh, Freaky Friday. I was gonna say both versions are great. Yeah, true. Um, I've not seen the musical though, or I'm like particularly familiar with it. I have seen the uh, the I showed you the music video of uh, uh-huh. the little Dicky song. <laughs> yeah, it's so fucking good. <laughs> Um, but Buffy does successfully break out of the time loop in very Buffy fashion. She thinks outside of the box because... Outside the magic box. (laughs) Even though she calls herself stupid at one point in this episode. (coughs) Excuse me. Oh, it broke my heart to hear her say that because she's demonstrating right here she's not. She's very smart. Just because she couldn't... Yeah, just because she couldn't keep up in Willow's extremely advanced... uh, sociology sociology class that she's never attended before does that make her stupid yeah. it makes her never have attended that class before yeah I felt stupid watching <laughs> like, that yeah. watching that and I know I'm not I, I hate seeing Buffy self-deprecate because we just know that it's not true um, but so she but yeah she comes up with a solution she tells the woman that that mummy hand is defective and by all means it appears to be um, but they can have one uh, special ordered and delivered wherever she likes. The woman's thrilled. She's like, perfect. Uh, the sale is successful. The woman walks out, please. Everyone's applauding. Except for Anya, who notes that Buffy didn't charge her the delivery fee. And then Anya says, I'll just deduct it from your pay. Buffy uh, then, uh, and, uh, you know, Giles is like, you know, he has to be, like, the manager. Like, he, he has to be the owner, but also, um, like, you know, he's trying to be nice to Buffy. He's like, well, I'm sure uh, Buffy understands. Buffy's like, yep, rips off her little sticker name tag and heads out. Good for her. I I understand that Giles has to walk a, a certain sort of line with Anya, their business partners, and he could have stood up for Buffy. Like, I believe Anya would do this. I oh, I yeah. don't like it. I'm I'm upset with her. But I believe it. Yeah, this, but Giles is... He, the, the the problem with Anya in this episode, because this is her only appearance in the episode, yeah. is that she really does... She's written kind of almost as a caricature mm-hmm. of her of herself. Because we know that Anya has like a lot of depths to her character. Yeah. But because of like, her very brief appearance, she doesn't give off the best vibe. Because it's just like, oh... Like, all you see is, like, this Anya is obsessed with money. That is a very funny, recurring gag, but when you see it as, like, the primary character trait, it's not great. Yeah. And I will say, generally, I think the majority of the complexity of Anya often comes from, not always, but generally, I think, comes from uh, Emma Caulfield. And mm-hmm. not necessarily from the text. Then now that's not always true. There's a season seven episode in particular that is wonderful for Anya's character. But I think 
she often, and I think we said the same thing about J. August Richards, and I would say the same about Amber Benson. They bring a lot of depth and emotional clarity to characters who can sometimes feel underwritten. Mm-hmm. Um, and good for them, because uh, because that's hard to do. Uh, but yeah, she walks out. Uh, Jonathan uh, gets his score from the the others, and it's very low because uh, it was only long from their perspective and Buffy's perspective, but from everyone else's perspective, it took probably 10 minutes at most. Also, when Jonathan was casting the spell, there was like oh, random gay jokes that kind of went in both directions. <laughs> I had gay whiplash. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I literally had to stop and think about what happened because <laughs> it was... Because like, oh, let's hold hands. And Andrew, of all people, uh, says, ew, no. And... And uh, Warren says, "Oh, you know what? Like homophobia really like tells about you." And um, and then uh, John's like, "Be quiet, hand me my magic bone." And then they like laugh at that, which it's kind of funny the way that Jonathan says it. But I think oh, they're yeah. laughing at magic bone. But when John is like, "Hand me my magic bone," yeah. Um, I also want to point out a line that just you made me think of this. A line that's not funny, but somehow Sarah Michelle Gellar just made it very funny. When Xander says something about at the construction site about the demon bodies, and Buffy's just like, "I can't," they melted. She delivers it in a way <laughs> yeah. that just the phrase the phrase "they melted" was I don't know. It was very funny to me, and it was the line itself wasn't funny. It was just like she gave such a. It was almost like a pouty disappointment. <laughs> like, um, so that night, what does Buffy choose to do? But get drunk, it spikes. Yeah. Um, and she's very bad at getting drunk, as we've seen before. Yes. She, uh, this is where we get the recurring joke that every time she takes a shot, she makes the <laughs> face. But she keeps doing she it. She keeps doing it. And um, once again, we're seeing that she's feeling more comfortable conf- confiding in Spike and spending time with him. Uh, she tells him about what's been going on. And he, it's so interesting the, the way that James Marsters can take the lines that he's given, which is basically like, you don't need school, you don't need a job, you don't, you know, you're a creature of the night like me. And basically, you know, he's trying to bring her down to his level. That's what he's doing. But he's so charming. <laughs> like, he does such a, I think, I think if Spike weren't, like, just always, like, in for the brawl. I think he'd be such a great cult leader. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's really charming. Like, yeah, he's very, like, he's really, and he's, we've seen him be very, very good at manipulation. I think if he weren't so hot-headed, he, he spent, like... He literally spent the latter part of season four just manipulating the shit out of yeah. everybody. So, like, I, I, you know, I think what's preventing him from su- that success is how hot-headed he is. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like... The words he's actually saying are, it's like kind of shitty, but he delivers it in such a smooth way that, like, if you're not paying attention or if you're not, if you don't have your guard up, it could, I feel like it could be pretty easy to be swayed by what he's saying. And it feels like know, Buffy the, the thing is, is, is to that I don't, I don't necessarily think what he's saying is too shitty. 
because I think he's legitimately well we know that he cares about Buffy mm -hmm. um I think he's legitimately trying to help Buffy find a place where she belongs and it does make sense that this it like because you know she's the slayer so um she, like what she did before was pretty much like go patrolling and like get rid of demons and uh you know Spike is trying to I think he's giving her like the the thing that probably she'd most relate to yeah it just also happens to be like what he's doing exactly yeah i i do agree that his intentions are in her favor and in his but mm -hmm. they always are but i do think there is a you know i don't think he's being malicious about it but he is kind of trying to encourage her to reject the other aspects of her life um in favor of this one specific thing which we know the other aspects of her life are what has kept her from being killed by this one specific thing. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't think he's being malicious, yeah. but I, I don't think he's being helpful mm -hmm. either. I don't think what he's saying is well, good for well, Buffy. Well, what he ends up taking her to is also not entirely helpful because it ends up being a poker game. Yes. With, um, I will say, some very good... Some very well-designed demons. Yeah, I liked them. Like, I, yet another win for the practical effects uh, team on this. Uh, the The designs are great. We get the first appearance, though he isn't given a name yet. Uh, we get the first appearance of Clem. Clem! He is the uh, loose-skinned demon. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see him. We'll see him a couple more times. I love Clem. Yeah, he's, he, he ends up being a delightful person, even though he cheats at poker. Even though he cheats at poker. But, but then again, do. so does Spike. <laughs> and, oh, oh, yes, and, of course, we've already mentioned it. Uh, we've already mentioned it in passing, but the currency for this game of poker is not money. It is... Kittens! Kittens! It's so funny because, like, to me, two iconic things of Buffy are Kitten Poker and Clem. Like, I don't, I don't know if I would call Clem iconic, but he's a character I really like, even though he's no, so minor. But the, it's like the minute that they like sat down to poker, that's when I remembered that, like, yeah. oh my god, that's right, they play for kittens. Uh, it's like it's so weird when something you that you associate so strongly with a show doesn't appear to like near the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so they Buffy. They go to this bar. Buffy takes the entire bottle from the bar uh, to go to this poker game. But, and Spike is like, you know, they talk while they play. So we'll get more information this way than by, uh, you know, bashing heads together. And, yeah, they the game goes well up until uh, Spike wins and takes all his earnings, and the other demons turn on him, and uh, <laughs> uh, they accuse him of cheating, uh, which becomes pretty clear that all of them were cheating. <laughs> <coughs> and Buffy, who's extremely <laughs> drunk, is also extremely done with this. Yeah. <laughs> and so when they're, because Spike's like, you know, you, you know, it's me and the Slayer. You can't take both of us. And Buffy's like, I'm not getting into a bar fight. <laughs> She's like, I'll bash heads together for information, but I'm not defending your honor. And then she frees all the kittens. I do have to say that um, this, we, we've seen Buffy drunk a couple of times in the show. This is the most realistic mm -hmm. drunk to me because like, 
Um, you see it when she tries to fight that demon that they see later that's just Jonathan in demon form. And, like, she, her first kick just flat out misses his face. <laughs> um, and, like, she, like, punches him and then falls to the ground. And um, probably, like, one of the most relatable scenes I could see. Because, you know, we've all had our uh, nights where we've been a little too... No, I don't yeah. think so. Not me. Harrison's full of shit. <laughs> um, I've seen him drunk... On several occasions. I don't know. Yep. Big news. <laughs> it's quite possible that he just flat out doesn't remember it. Uh, but um, I have only ever seen you that I've seen you like tipsy and like good time drunk, but I've ne- I've only ever seen you like shammered once. It it doesn't you... it does not happen frequently. Yeah. Um. It uh mostly because like uh, I don't like I, I guess I don't. Even when I'm in a place where I know I'm with people that I trust, I don't like being too unencumbered. I don't like, yeah. You don't like that feeling of vulnerability almost. Um, But uh, no, the thing that I could definitely relate to, especially from those couple of times (laughs) that I have been incredibly (laughs) ponced, was um, at the end of the episode where Buffy is like, you know, she's kind of recovering from being drunk. She's not on her bed. She is on the ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me tell you guys something. I do not feel comfortable. Uh, I do not feel comfortable being on a bed after being like incredibly drunk. It feels so weird. <laughs> but like, if you give me the solid floor, there's something very comforting about it's the grounding. Solid, yeah, <laughs> it's grounding. There's something very comforting about the solidness of it. Yes. Um, like, yeah, I, I understand that. Like, it makes total sense for me if, if, like, you know, somebody, somebody's just like, oh, I need to, like, sleep this off and, like, is on the floor. Like, I don't try to move them or anything. I'm like, no, man, you, you do, you do what you do. I find, too, if I'm, like, sometimes if I'm really, really drunk, um, and I haven't had this happen recently because I'm, you know, not actively trying to do that, but, um, when... You get the spins, kind of. Yeah. Like, being on a bed is so freaky mm-hmm. when you've got the spins. Because um, I'm like, when is this bed just going to leave? When am I going <laughs> to fall? So I just I should just get on the floor now before yeah. that's where I end up. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yes, Buffy, uh, Buffy frees all the kittens. Uh, she Go, tells them to free. scamper and be Super. free. Uh, there's a great line where uh, she... She's like, why are you, like, gambling for kittens? It's stupid courtesy. And one of the demons just goes, they're delicious. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Uh, Easy answer. Yeah. She she storms out of the bar with Spike. And this is where she kind of goes into this, like, bit of a self-deprecating rant about she's too stupid for school. And, you know, she couldn't do the the construction thing. She's too weird for... Yeah, too... And the the only one that she doesn't like blame herself for is the magic box. And she was <laughs> like, "I wanted to quit that before the hour that never ended." <laughs> uh, and then she's like, "Yeah, now I'm doing shots with you. Like, what the fuck is going on?" And then she she finishes it off with the, "And I think you're drunk." <laughs> um. However, she does quickly notice. The trio's van. They have followed her there. 
the trio are once again fighting over... This is when they uh, get into the James Bond argument. Yeah, the James Bond argument. Uh, but Jonathan luckily sees that Buffy's coming. They quickly... Uh, get the magic bone. Get the magic bone, have a quick giggle over it. And uh, <laughs> Jonathan does a glamour. Um, turns himself into a demon. And then, yeah, Buffy... It's, it's a good thing that Buffy was so drunk. <laughs> Jonathan would probably be dead. <laughs> like, he, he still gets, like, pretty seriously injured because uh, because it's just a glamour. It's still just him. But... So I like the idea that um, this is not the best designed demon. It honestly looks like it, it's one of the few demons that I've seen that looks super cheesy this late in the game for Buffy. Yeah. But the fact that it isn't actually a demon, it is a glamour, might be like a little joke on the like designer's part. I love it. Like maybe the director even said, Hey, we need it we need like a a demon for Jonathan to change into, but uh Make don't, it kind of cliche. Yeah, like, don't, don't work. Don't work too hard on yeah. me. <laughs> I mean, and look at the other demon designs they were pulling out in this episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, all of which are unique to this yeah. episode. I think. I, I don't think they recycled anything. No. Back at the Scooby Shack, uh, <laughs> Buffy is recovering from her night out. She's been in the bathroom uh, puking. At She's... one point, it feels <laughs> like she was actually inside out. Bad girl. I. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, it's really weird, but like the last time I've ever gotten that sick was actually not um, alcohol related. It was the first day that I started my job that I'm currently at. I was getting ready in the morning and I was just like really anxious and like nervous. I'd been unemployed for a year of starting a new job. It was just it was in the middle of a fucking pandemic and I was just like so stressed that I spent 20 minutes vomiting. Damn. Um, which is not something I, I don't think I've ever stress vomited before. I've heartburn vomited before, um, which is not fun. Um, and like, you know, basic sickness vomiting, but, uh, I have never thrown up from anxiety before. And it was, it was awful because it got to a point where I was, sorry, this is so gross, but like it got to the point where I was, there was nothing left. So I was like dry heaving, dry heaving and like bile, uh, which is even almost worse. Um, and then I pulled myself together and I brushed my teeth again because I had already brushed my teeth. And then, uh, and then I went to work and started yeah. a new job. The American oh, dream. Miserable. <laughs> uh, it was, I was, yeah, I was just so stressed. Um, and I didn't need to be because it was fine. But anyway, uh, Giles and Buffy are talking in her room where, as Jason mentioned, she's sitting on the floor with a little glass of water. And um, she, uh, you know, she just talks through, like... I, I do say, I, I want to try Ron Swanson's... Uh, Ron Swanson's approach to dealing with being too drunk. Um, what is it like? Uh, pan fry a flank steak oh, in yeah. butter and uh, put on like a pair of wet socks, maybe. Uh huh. And then like, uh, and I, I want to try that, even though it sounds like horseshit. <laughs> if for nothing else, then it gives 
It gives me an excuse to have like a pan, uh, like a flank steak pan fried in butter. I mean, hey. Um, but yeah, she complains to Giles that, you know, everything's really shitty for her right now. She's not having a good time. She, the money stuff is really, really getting to her. She doesn't know what she's going to do. Um, and Giles offers her a check. Um, and she, I mean, you can see how much weight is just lifted off of her shoulders when she gets this check. She tells him, uh, that it's like having her mom back. Um, and he's like, oh, I'm your mother in this situation. And she's like. Do you want to be my shiftless absentee father? He's like, yeah, right. Fair point. <laughs> um, but it's... It's a great... I mean, Sarah and Tony always do great in these sort of scenes together. And this is no exception. Um, but I just want to point out how... How good Sarah Michelle Geller is when she talks about Joyce. Anytime Joyce comes up in conversation post her death... Even in little moments like this, it's like you can just feel the grief, even if the grief isn't part of the scene necessarily. And, you know, I think um, I think Sarah does bring a little bit of her own feelings about that as well, because I'm sure she absolutely enjoyed working mm-hmm. with um, with Christine Sutherland. And uh, and yeah, like the fact that, um, you know, she doesn't get to work with her mm-hmm. uh Apart from like, like I mean, she was a constant on Buffy for the longest time. So, yeah. um, I mean, I'm not saying that she won't be here again, but uh, she's obviously not the constant that she was. Yeah, um, and it's. I don't, I'm not saying that this is necessarily to the show's detriment, but there is a Joyce-sized hole, mm-hmm. like, um, and I, I appreciate that the show lets that be without dwelling on it. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes that can be, like, a thing where, like, yes, these characters should have grief and should be able to express that and experience it, but, like, like other things also have to happen. Yep. Because, and that's how life works, too. Like, we grieve things. And I, and think, some... that, uh, I think that season five was a good example of that. Because, yeah. yes, Joyce died. Yes, Buffy needed the time to grieve. But also hey, Glory's still trying to get a hold of Dawn. Yeah. And uh, it ends with, like, Buffy dying, so... Yeah. And even, you know, even outside of Glory, like, Dawn still needed Buffy. Mm-hmm. And, quite frankly, Buffy needed Dawn as well. Like, they needed each other. Um, and they needed to be there for each other. So, um, yeah, that's the thing. It's life always goes on, unfortunately. Um, even when it feels like it can't. And, um, and this episode ends on a very uh, interesting note mm-hmm. that's um, kind of going to become important for the next few episodes because Buffy does tell Giles, like, this, um, like, I always feel safe knowing that you're here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, Giles smiles as that, at that. Giles smiles. Yeah. Um, he smiles at that, and then Buffy turns to leave because she wants to go tell Dawn, say, like, hey, things are going to be a little easier for just a little bit. And, uh, but then we see Giles frown Mm -hmm. because as it's going to get into in like the next couple episodes, he realizes that Buffy is, Buffy needs to learn to live on her own. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it really sucks that she's like at this point 
after having just come back from the dead. Yeah. Like it's, it, it seems like we, it just doesn't seem fair that she's gone through this trauma that nobody can relate to. And, uh, and no one a, knows about, and no one knows about and is expected to like, you know, get back on track. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that's like, that's not even counting, like, uh, you know, her mom dying. Like, her right. the one good parent in her life that isn't, like, the one good blood parent in her life um, is gone. And she has to, like, look after her, like, her little sister, too. Yeah. There is a bit of a, we mentioned at the beginning of this episode of, like, yes, everyone needs to help Buffy. Like, Buffy needs to figure out what's what she's going to do. But it, there's a lot of onus on Buffy. Mm-hmm. It's like... Okay, but, like, y'all, what are you all doing to help and support her? And, like, Giles is giving her a check. And, like, they are doing things. But there is a lot of... And we'll talk about it as we get further into the season of, like... I feel like... I mean, this they, is this is the growing up season. He, yes. I mean, uh, Buffy is a coming-of-age story yeah. as a whole. But the growing up is very much an emphasize mm-hmm. latter half of season five and definitely in season yeah. six um but yeah there's just a lot the scooby seem to be putting a lot of onus on buffy to solve all of this on her own mm-hmm. and and it, like and yes there is value in being able to do that work yourself like i'm not dismissing that but that's also it is sometimes a bad habit that the scoobies get into not even just in this season but in prior ones too of like we're gonna put it all on buffy and like, um, looking at you, Dead Man's Party. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. But yeah, that's Life Serial. Um, uh, an episode that has a real rocky start, but I think once we hit the time loop on, is pretty solid stuff. It, it is a tale of two halves of yeah. the episode. Um, yeah, and I... it's very easy to see the unevenness of it now Mm -hmm. there is like there are two writers on this so i'm kind of wondering if uh if maybe jane did a lot of that back half it the back half feels like jane yeah (laughs) like um i was wondering that too i was like i mean and that's not typically how an episode breaks but that doesn't mean it, you know, it's, it's entirely possible that it was Petrie's episode first, but something happened and he was only able to finish half of it. And then Jane took over, like, it was Pete, David Petrie, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, I, that's, I, that's possible. Um, but it, yeah, like I said, or like we've both said, it feels like two distinct episodes, one of which is far stronger than the other. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, I'll, since it is, like, uh, two different halves, like the tale of two halves, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and give it a 2.5 mm-hmm. out of out of five actors who have portrayed James Bond, even <laughs> though there have been six, not counting, like, all the other random ones, too. Right. Um, yeah, I'm there with you. I, it's a 2.5 for me. Um, like, I would probably give the latter half, like, between a three and a half and a four, and, like, the first half, closer to, like, a one and a half or a two. So, like, kind of falling there in that mm-hmm. kind of middle range. But um, there's good stuff. Like, there's, like we said, there's a lot of stuff in this episode that is, like, 
kind of iconic like of the show um we didn't even talk about the fact that there's a there's a shot of the mummy hand crawling over a skull which is going to be a credit shot um in the last season love a credit shot Mm -hmm. um but yeah that was life serial um I, I do think it's where the episode loses a lot of its... Or... I do think the episode's biggest weakness is its over-reliance on the trio and uh, some just weird out of character stuff specifically for Xander and not out of character for Anya, but not nice to watch for Anya. Yeah. Also, I'm just gonna say it. Sepsa could have used more Dawn. She's only in that first scene. She like, is, yeah. Like, literally the whole time I was like, when's Dawn gonna turn back up? She's not. Um, yeah, it's a very Buffy heavy episode and everybody else just kind of has like little bit parts in all the other scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, we don't, and yeah, we don't see Don or, or we don't see Willow or Tara after the university mm-hmm. either, so. We don't see Xander after the construction yeah. job. Yeah. And we don't see Spike until she starts drinking with him. Yeah. So. It's very, it's, it's an extremely episodic episode. Yeah. You've got prologue, you've got university, you've got construction site, you've got magic box, you've got drinking with Spike. Um, and poker, and then you've got demon fight and aftermath. Mm-hmm. Like it's boom, 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 boom. So, all right, uh, take us out. Thank you for joining us on Booze and Buffy. We'll be back next week with Angel season three, episode six. Billy, this is gonna be an interesting one. Billy, don't you lose my number? I'm Harrison. You can find me on Instagram at Harrison Alexander Kaufman and on Twitter at Harrison Kaufman. And I'm Jason. You can find me on Instagram at yummyj357. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Booze and Buffy. Or you can email us at boozeandbuffy at gmail.com. The and is spelled out. By the way, um, you can find me on Instagram at yummyj357 unless you're a random porn account. Then you can find me on Instagram at Harrison Alexander Kaufman. If you're a random porn account, <laughs> you better be a straight guy. Um, don't forget to subscribe rate and review us on Apple Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts Yes, and each week we like to give a shout out to a worthy uh, charity or nonprofit. this week we are highlighting the Education Development Center Education Development Center is a global nonprofit that advances long lasting solutions to improve education promote health and expand economic opportunity since 1958 they have been a leader in designing, implementing, and evaluating powerful and innovative programs in more than 80 countries around the world. Visit www.edc.org for more information. And as always, go slay. And be gay. Ta. Bye.